Hey, what's going on? Just wanted to pop in before I send it to the interview with Susan. Number one, I am doing a fast right now. I haven't had any food in about 38 hours or so. I'm gonna, I'm aiming for a 44 hour fast so I can eat at like three this afternoon. And I know this is probably not what you came here to hear, but it has been interesting. I've done a 24-hour fast before, uh, actually several times, probably like 10 times I've done a 24-hour fast. And it's pretty cool. I do intermittent fasting occasionally. I'm not religious about it or anything like that, but I decided I was going to do a longer one. I have a couple friends who did, I think they they did a three-day fast, which is 72 hours if I'm doing math right. And they did a you know really good job. They got a lot out of it. And I thought I would give this a shot. My wife is out of town, so it was kind of a convenient time to just forego the normal social meals and stuff like that. So anyway, it's been pretty cool. I actually felt um, a little hungry yesterday, but I've been able to work through it. Anyway, my normal viewing pleasure over on YouTube is, is often food videos. I like to watch uh, Guy Fieri and his short clips on diners, drive-ins, and dives. It's just fun. You know, I love that kind of food. Anyway, don't do that if you're fasting. Bad idea, makes you hungrier, but I am very much looking forward to eating this afternoon. The real the real reason I wanted to jump in before the interview is I met Susan in a community slash uh, kind of course platform called Money Lab Pro. My friend Matt Jevanisi of moneylab.co runs that community. And I had a chat with him a few weeks ago and we were talking more about Money Lab. And the thing is like, we we call it a community, but really it's a set of courses. There's courses within Money Lab and you also get access to Matt's premium WordPress theme called Carbonate. And that's the theme he uses over at his million dollar per year niche site called Swim University. And you also get access with Money Lab to the community, in addition to all the courses plus the WordPress theme. You have the community. And Matt is actually doing, I think they are weekly, but he does a video podcast that are for the community and some other extra content as well. So it's pretty cool. Um, I encourage you to check it out if you are looking for a community to join. One of the great parts is we all kind of know what each other are talking about. One of the struggles when you work online, especially on a content niche authority site, when you talk to your spouse, they've on they've heard enough. They, they don't want to hear any more of your stories about the fucking site, right? If you have a great spouse, they'll they'll listen through it sometimes, but you don't want to continue that kind of harassment. When you have a community, everyone knows what you're talking about. You can come in with a problem like I'm I'm struggling with my lead magnet. It used to convert well, it doesn't anymore. Do you have any ideas? And then you'll get a bunch of replies back. People that are experienced, that are ahead of you, and they can give you some 
you know, some really good ideas. So anyway, just a plug for Money Lab Pro. I'm an affiliate. I'm a member there too. I'm not a big forum or community person as I I say it all the time. I just, I, I just don't use it right. If you use it effectively, it's wonderful. Anyway, I'm in there occasionally, but not too often. So check out Money Lab Pro if it's something you might be interested in. I'll put a link in there and people like Susan are in there, people like me, Matt's in there running the community. And he does uh, weekly happy hours too. I think they're like Friday afternoons. I think he kicks back and has a beverage of some kind. And it's like a, you know, kind of a little round table mastermind type call. Everybody gets to chat. And if you're unable to attend because of time zones or something like that, then you can watch the replay later. So that's the plug from Money Lab Pro. Let's send it to the interview now. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, we're going to talk to Susan Poisner, and she's the founder of Orchard People. And she has a very nice authority site out there with multiple streams of income. So we're going to dig into all the details. Susan, how's it going today? It's going really well. Thank you, Doug. And we don't know each other well. Um, we're part of, I guess, the the same community that Matt Giovannisi runs, and that's Money Lab. I think it's Pro. Is that what it's called, Money that's Lab right. Pro? Yeah. So yeah. I, I saw you posted in there, and I was like, oh, it looks like a cool site. You're doing some interesting things, maybe a good fit for an interview. So I don't really know you very well, and we're going to dig in. So can you give us a little intro about who you are and what you do these days? Sure. So my name is Susan Poisner, and my background is um, I'm a journalist, a broadcaster, and a gardener. And um, years ago, probably 13 years ago now, I planted a community orchard in my local park. I just thought it'd be a great idea to have fruit trees in the park. And as a gardener, I thought, you know, like vegetables, like zucchini, you have to pull them up every year and throw them away and then plant something new. Wouldn't it be great to have fruit trees? One tree can produce so much fruit and they're easy. Like you plant them and you forget about them and just move on and just get the harvest, right? So clearly that was not the case. Um, I realized that fruit trees are like children. They're a handful. They can be very demanding if you want them to produce really well. And if you neglect them, they can be very messy and challenging. So um, I had to go myself on a real journey to learn about how to care for fruit trees. And because I'm a journalist and a researcher and, and I do all these things, as I was learning, I was kind of figuring out how to communicate this information. So over the early years, people came back to me, uh, the orchard became more and more successful, and it you know, got into the news and people wanted to know more about it. So they'd reach out to me and they'd say, how do you do it? How do you grow the fruit trees? I have so many challenges. I have pests and disease problems. So it started off with a book. I wrote a book about fruit tree care, and then I ended up creating online courses. And a whole bunch of other things came from that. What's the orchard like now at the community garden? So the orchard is delightful. So that park is not a huge park. And when we planted our first fruit trees, it was uh, neglected. There was a rotting playground and nobody ever hung out there. 
And now, 13, 14 years later, it is filled with blossoming fruit trees, fruiting fruit trees, with community that comes out to enjoy the harvest. Our cherry harvest day is always so much fun. The children come and climb the trees and we use our harvesters and we have buckets and buckets of fruit. Um, So it's become a busy and very popular place. Uh, Long story, but there were some opponents who didn't want us to plant the orchard there. They were afraid that the trees would be neglected. Rightfully so. If you plant fruit trees, you have to be responsible. Uh, But in the end, I remember uh, one person, a former opponent came up to me and said, you know, Susan, that park used to be nothing. And since your project started, it's everything. Wow. It's, you know, yeah. That's pretty cool. So what happens when you neglect a fruit tree? Yeah, fruit trees are like, they're kind of like kids in kindergarten. They get every disease that's flying around the neighborhood. And there are very common diseases, either the the um, the leaves get really spotty with these fungal diseases, and then the, the leaves fall to the ground, and it spreads more and more every year, or the fruit is sort of rotting and has worms in it, or the branches get all swollen, and these diseases just spread from tree to tree, from place to place. Um, so a fruit tree in itself is not necessarily a good thing. Because if I have a fruit tree that's neglected and you take really good care of your fruit tree and you live right next door, you will have an uphill battle because I will always be providing pathogens and pests to fly over to your tree. So that's why fruit trees need to be cared for properly. Think about it, Doug. If you, you know, organic fruit is very expensive. So why wouldn't you just buy a big plot of land plant, you know, a couple of hundred Honeycrisp apple trees and rake in the dough. You can't because it's a lot of work. It's not, you know, a hands-off experience. Right. And did you know that and, or did you run into issues like the couple, couple years into it? I think it was a mix. It was a mix because because we had opponents in the early years, I started to get a little nervous and think, well, I better do this right because they got eyes on me and I don't want to get in trouble here. And so I started learning, but also I had problems. And one of the first thing is that my pear trees had orange spots all over the leaves and I would wander by and not get too close because for sure those problems would go away on their own. And they didn't. The next year there were more, and the next year there were more. And, you know, by year three, we had to dig out the trees. They were so sick when I finally figured out what was wrong with them and that I could have corrected the issue in year one. Okay. So over and over again, problems like that, wormy apples. Every time I'm looking and thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? And so over you know, a decade, I've seen everything almost. And I realized it can so much of it can be prevented if I had done the right thing right from the start. So all of my training is the online courses are about here, let me help you get it right, right from the start. And that starts from buying and planting the right trees, not just the trees from the big box store, those are the hardest ones to grow. Those are the ones that are most likely to get pest and disease problems because they are grown commercially by orchards, excuse me, that um, use pesticides and fungicides. 
So you have a journalism background. So you started to realize that uh, there was a knowledge gap and you're doing some research. So what kind of journalism did you do uh, professionally? Well, um, I lived all over the world and um, I, I did actually, one of the things I did was Russian language educational programs in Russia. So I did that. I used to work for the BBC World Service. I worked for Associated Press Television. <clears throat> I freelanced, um, mostly social issues and that kind of thing. Okay. Gotcha. So you had a couple years where you were figuring out the fruit tree stuff, started doing some research. Um, when did the book come about? So the book was the first thing. I'm doing my research. I'm floundering around, learning. I'm traveling a lot. Um, because I want to meet other people who started community orchards. And I'm saying to them, guys, how did you do this? What, what's the secret? What do I need to do? I'm gathering this information for myself. And my favorite way to process information is to write about it. So I wrote the book at the same time. <clears throat> so I put out the book, I self published it, had a designer do a design. It's a beautiful book. I'm really happy with it. And it did very well. Uh, even though I didn't know what I was doing in terms of marketing and launching it, I really did not know what I was doing. Um, but somehow it did well. People really like it. And until this day, people say, oh, my gosh, I love your book. So from there, I took the book and extra information and pictures that I had gathered over the years and videos. And then from the book, I created my first course, Certificate in Fruit Tree Care. It was already, the information was already organized inside my head. Okay. And any specific challenges with the self-publishing or was it pretty straightforward because of your strong writing background? Um, I'm a good writer. I needed to find an editor. So I found a couple of friends to do the editing. That worked out okay. I uh, found somebody to do the design. Um but it was a brave new world. I mean, I had to read a lot, and this was many years ago, about how I self-published. At the time, there was CreateSpace. I think that was part of Amazon. So I did it on CreateSpace. I just muddled through. Um, I've learned more about that since then. I published my second book recently, and it's a great book but not heavy with pictures. It's a different kind of book. So I know a little bit more about it now. I would still not say I'm an expert in self-publishing. Okay. And do you still get uh, sales in from the oh, original yeah. book? Yeah. So one of the things that I did that was good is first I put it on CreateSpace, uh, which, was Am which is today Amazon uh, Publishing. Then I found a distributor in the States to distribute it, a book publishing company, they're called, and they distribute it to, to libraries, to stores all across North America. So that was great because I wasn't going to pick up the phone and call every library and every store and say, you want to carry my book. So they take care of that. And I, I think what I had to do was I had to pay a whole bunch up front to print the books. And then as they sell, they give me the money back and then they take a share, something like that. Okay. So that suits me well, just because the book is out there. It's almost, in a way, it's a business card. Um, and there's a lesson there. In the original book, I had a different website 
uh, maybe I can't remember what it was called, but that's, I think I'm trying to remember if we changed it in the book. So when I had my permanent website, I had to change the URL and redirect and stuff like that. So if I'd have, if I could have had the opportunity, I would have thought up a big plan. Well, I'm going to do e-learning one day and have a website and have a book. So I want everything to work together. You can't go back in time. Right. Yeah. I have a friend and she ended up doing really well self-publishing a book and it sells well on Kindle. And she, I, I don't think she had an email list or maybe she didn't even have a website yet. So she didn't put that in and didn't think it was going to do anything. And then it's gone on to sell, I don't know how many, like many thousands or tens of thousands of copies, but I mean, she didn't know it was like her first book and the first time self-publishing. So she didn't know what she didn't know, but now she you know, has made updates now, but. Yes. And, and with my second book, I knew better to put in, I mean, the whole point of the second book, well, it's, I wanted to get some more information out there, but I wanted to add people to my list so I could share my other information with them, whether it's my website, my radio show and podcast, and my courses. So it starts off with a link. Do you want to download these worksheets? And I realized that the worksheets were great, but they're too much for most people. So in the update, I've created something that's very graphic and that's really nice, but it's a one-pager, Fruit Tree Care Throughout the Seasons, where on one page, they know what they need to do for the whole season. So I'm learning from experience. Not a lot of people signed up for the worksheets too much. They just they like the book, but they didn't want to get into that much detail. Um, but yeah, you learn as you go and you can do up updates for sure. And it's a perfect example. Cause I, I'm currently, you know, putting together like a freebie to get people on the list. And, you know, my default was one pager, like you get the value right away. If you give someone like a free ebook, that's 50 pages, they're just, they're not going to read it. Or you give them a, like a full course, like high value, 10 part course, they're not going to watch any of it. They don't have time. They just need, um, like you said, graphical, very easy. It sounds like a nice infographic kind of thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've learned that as well. That I've I've done that before, given away really great little courses. Too much for people. They're not ready to commit yet. And yep. and people are so busy. To have one page, all your information on one page, they can go into more depth uh, if they need to, but at least they know what their responsibilities are. Right. And they can get that value right away. And now I'm just thinking like have a one pager. Then if you want to learn more, then you can go to the bigger thing. They've already gotten the value and they're really kind of self-selecting to like continue down the funnel. Exactly. So, okay. So you have two books, you, you got better at it. When did the um, website and blog come about? Now the website has gone through, oh, and the blog. The website and blog have changed a lot over the years. So it had a different name at first. Um, and I can't even remember what it is right now. And the design was totally different. And the blog, I had no idea what I was doing. So whenever I just felt like it, I wrote an article about this, that, and the other, you know, this community orchard and that community orchard and this thing was happening. And I won an award, good for me. And it's like, I look back and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that I put that stuff up there. 
So um, I guess uh, five years ago, I started to learn more about SEO, search engine optimization. And I also started to learn about what kind of content I need to put up there. What are people looking for that I want to give them what they're looking for? And that's good for me too, because then I'm learning myself all the, you know, we all, as we go through our life experience with our orchards or whatever you want to learn, we encounter challenges. So I write about the challenges I face, but you may be facing different challenges where you live. And if I can learn about those challenges, I can write about them and learn about them myself. So I know what to look out for in my own trees. So I started move towards moving towards epic content, which is big, beautiful articles that have lots of information that empower you and make you feel great. And I don't believe in lots of ads and flashing this and that and pop up videos. And I embed videos, educational videos on a page if it's relevant to that page. So um, the website has been there in many forms over the last decade or more. uh, But I feel it's really come into its own in the last, let's say, even three years or four years. Okay. And yeah, super interesting. And the reason why is like you have the the journalism background. You started something that was a hobby, essentially. And you started to learn more. You actually wrote a book along the way. And then you thought, ah, maybe I'll take the blog a little more seriously, try to get some search engine traffic. And I've done a few interviews where, you know, people started with, a passion and interest. Then they started the blog. Then it kind of grew into something else. And they're like, oh, I could actually make money at this. So you are making some money and you're monetizing, it sounds like, with uh, courses. You have a podcast, you have a YouTube channel, and we'll talk about the other parts of the platform. What can you share about the earnings? And I know some people don't like to share. So as much as you're comfortable sharing or not at all, but I always like to ask to give you a chance to to tell us something about it. So the lion's share of my income comes from online courses. You know, every book I sell, I make maybe a buck or two. I don't make a lot of money from selling the books. Um, the content that I put out there, the articles, I'm creating it, you know, you're, you and other people are consuming it for free. Uh, YouTube videos, I get a little bit, I, I've got ads, so I get a little bit of money every month, I don't know, 50 bucks a month or something. Uh, from YouTube for advertising. Um, So that's not major money, but it's the courses. And the podcast, I have a couple of advertisers just to cover the expenses of the podcast. So those online courses are my main route for monetizing my entire business. And they're not inexpensive. Uh, You know, the eight-hour course certificate in fruit tree care costs $250 pretty much. But when you think about it, this is like a college I used to teach at Niagara College uh, in Ontario, fruit production. So it's like a college education, but it's done in a really fun and interesting way. It's much better value. And um, you can learn in the comfort of your own home and try and play around with your own trees and learn how to do it. So that's where I make my my income and i am supporting myself with my business i am not a big millionaire but um, i'm really happy with how it's going so far great and probably i mean as a journalist i I don't think general i've never worked in journalism but 
you don't hear about that being like a really high income, like people like writing, they like the environment. There's a number of reasons, but it's probably a good option since you, you're the boss, you can create things that you know are truly helpful for your audience. So probably pretty satisfying versus like maybe, you know, writing in a newsroom or something like that. I think that's a great question. Um, and the reason is I've had some interesting jobs through the years um, with journalism in the various places I've lived. I would never get, there weren't a lot of staff jobs. You would get a contract for a year or two. Uh, they don't want to play, pay for your you know, benefits and whatever. So that was one challenge. And then at some point in my career, I started a documentary production company and made some documentaries. And that was really great, except it could take me two years to get the funding to do the documentary. And then two years to make the documentary and get my money, <laughs> get paid for it. And then I have to start all over again. So when I realized I could use my communication and teaching skills all my skills, filmmaking and podcasting and writing, all the things I love doing, communicating something I'm passionate about, and create a business that my goal was that it would it would take me for 10 years plus plus, that this is going to be a lifetime project for me. Um, so I don't have to keep fundraising and starting something completely new. And that's exactly, that's what my intention was. And that's exactly what's happened. Perfect. And it sounds like kind of a small niche in industry. What, I guess, were there many competitors when you first started? Were there actual like comparable competitors, people that knew what they were doing? Um, in my industry, some people, they're like, oh, this looks like an opportunity. I'll throw up some uh, you know, cheap content that maybe isn't correct, but I can get traffic and I can earn some money. So what did the industry look like when you first started? Oh, what a fantastic question. So there are many, many people who are much smarter than me in fruit tree care, many people, um, but they're not me. And the reason that they're not me is I'm somebody who went out and didn't know what I was doing and made a bunch of mistakes. And I'm okay talking about that. Um, these are people who are trained in horticulture. They know what they're doing so much that when they explain it to people, it may not be relatable. People may not resonate with it because it just sounds scary and too high. You're like, oh my gosh, I never learned that in college or university. How can I ever learn these things? So these people put out amazing content. But what I do is I link it to stories and experiences that I've had so that you'll laugh, so that you'll have fun watching it, and that you'll learn effortlessly. Um, so we, there was that. Um, there is something uh, called permaculture, and there are a lot of people educating on permaculture. Um, and I think that's awesome. And I know a little bit about permaculture. I'm not an expert. What I'm doing is specifically fruit trees, fruit trees like apple trees, cherry trees, plum trees, all of that. And a lot of the permaculture people don't really think too much about the trees. They just expect the trees to fit into the bigger picture with all the other plants. So it's actually complementary. I can partner with somebody who does permaculture training 
And they can, I can send my people over to them to learn about permaculture. They can send their people over to me to learn specifically about the wonderfully geeky fruit tree topics. Okay. And because of that, it sounds like there, there weren't too many people in the specific, you know, fruit tree care area. Okay. That's right. And how about now? Is it a little more popular, like now that you're out there validating the market? Um, I think that there are people out there um, doing similar but different things. So maybe there are people training uh, orchardists who have 10,000 or 1,000 trees or even a few hundred trees uh, versus I'm not aware of lots of people that work with homeowners um, in the way that I do. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't think so. Um, I know there's lots of organizations that put up free information. So there's tons of competition in terms of free information. I just do it in my own way. And I never really thought about the competition. I just thought I needed something like this to help me get started. So I'm just going to make it myself so I can help other people. I haven't really thought too much about competition. Okay. And that's perfect. And, you know, one of the reasons why I ask is I have a student who went into a niche that was, uh, you know, maybe a similar kind of small, like kind of obscure. You kind of have to be in the community to understand what it's about. People can't fake it very well. You could sniff it out like a visitor on the website would be able to sniff out if you didn't know what you were talking about within a couple sentences, really. It's it's very obvious. And I didn't think it was potentially a very big niche, but you know, after a few years, she's making like six figures a year from that site that is very obscure. And, you know, people often worry, like, is it is it too small? Is there an audience? is there too much competition? Like you didn't even really look, it turns out there's not too much competition probably. And then there are free resources, but you're putting your own spin on it and meeting the people, meeting the audience where they are. So if they like the YouTube videos or the podcast, um, the organizations probably don't have an entertaining podcast to listen to about fruit trees, but they could check yours out instead. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and I think, it's also, um, I think you're right. I think it's the, the that I have years of a journalistic uh, training and I know how to make things funny and interesting and whatever. But actually, I d it wasn't intentional, but I did do research for competition now that you mention it. Because when I started my orchard and I was all tense and worried because there were some people that did not want me to start the orchard and they were very, you know, expressive about it. And they put a petition together, you know, and gave it to the city. Do not let this crazy lady start an orchard in our park. <laughs> and um, at that time I thought, well, I have to find a course in how to care for fruit trees. And I looked all over, I found a course in the UK that was something like $6,000. I'm like, I'm not paying wow. $6,000 for a course. This, you know, that I'm not a, you know, I'm not a commercial fruit production company, right? So that was my research. I guess my, what I'm trying to say is, if I needed it, I knew somebody else was going to need it too. So I did do enough research. And I feel like if it comes from passion, 
if you've got something unique to offer, and if it's something you're doing anyways and just love, then it's probably a good bet. Awesome. Talk about um, the amount of traffic that you get to the website. Just It sounds like it's probably seasonal, so you can give us kind of a broad range. Yeah, so I did, uh, like I told you, the first incarnation of the website was, you know, I'm sure I had visitors to that website too. I took uh, Matt's course, the Money Lab Pro, now it's a part of Money Lab Pro course, in um, blogging, I can't remember what it's called, blogging for bloggers or something like that, writing for bloggers. Oh no, SEO for bloggers, best course. And I took the course, it took however many hours, and then I took a year to um, really just look at the content I have and improve it. So I saw the growth. Today I have um, per month, let's say 25 to 50,000 visitors to the website, which may not be a lot. I don't know if it's a lot or not, but it's getting people whenever I say, well, how did you find my course? How did you find my book? How did you know about my radio show? They all said, well, I Googled something and I found it on your website. I found your website. It came up top. So somehow people are finding that website. Okay. And how many articles do you have on the site now? I think last I checked, it was 50. I used to have a lot more, um, but I would put together like a post every time I did a podcast, but there wasn't much information in there. So I checked out a whole bunch of stuff. I would rather have less, but each article is really, you know, beefy and fun and answers the question and includes videos and whatever. Slowly, I hope to to build that up. And maybe I'll add, let's say, six or eight new big articles every year. Okay. And how long on average would you say the 50 articles are? Um, I'm going to guess 1,500 words, something like that. Okay. And did you use any AI writers to do it? No, no. everything. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's the thing because I've played around yeah. with AI. I'm very curious yeah. about it. And I was in a, a bit of a rut in terms of writing. I was stressed and I was busy doing other things. And so I tried um, Jasper AI just, I thought, well, let's see what happens. So I started writing and I knew a topic I wanted to write about. I knew that I wanted to include information from an interview that I had done. And the way it helped me was it just started me off. It's like, okay, how do I write an introduction for an article on um, pears used for Perry cider or something like that? And it wrote the introduction. I'm looking and thinking, what a crap introduction. I can do better than that. And I would just delete it and write the new one. And each time I'd get a new paragraph and say, that's ridiculous. And then I'd write <laughs> something else. So it okay. gave it put that fire under me to just get moving and get it done. Because I think one of the problems me that I have and many other people have is this perfectionism. Oh my gosh, I'm not, in, I don't have enough energy today to write something good. It doesn't matter. Just do it. And the other secret that I have is 5.30 in the morning is the answer for everything. When I get up and get to my desk at 5.30 in the morning, the internal editor that is saying that's not good enough, you're not going to, that's a terrible way to start it. It shuts up. It's still sleeping. So I just type. 
right? I just type, I just write things. And by the time I actually wake up at 7am, after all this typing, I look and think, wow, that's not too bad, actually. I'm going to fix this and that, but that was okay. It's interesting that you mentioned that and that that editor, she's still asleep, but I, I haven't executed on this yet, but I have been trying to stay in bed a little bit longer to sleep more. Sometimes I'm lucky and I f- actually fall back asleep, but I find that whatever that 15 to 45 minutes where I'm just laying there, I have some pretty cool thoughts and I'm like, I should write that down, but then it would like ruin it because I get up and start waking up. But that's kind of what you're talking about. Like start start writing before you have a chance to actually wake up. You could edit it later when you're a little bit more critical of yourself. You know what, Doug, if there's anything big you want to do, I would suggest you try that because that is a magical, literally a magical time of day. Um, For people who meditate, I, I meditate. That is the time where you can get past the chatter and then really accomplish what you need to accomplish emotionally or spiritually in any way. It is my secret for everything. Getting my last book, Grow Fruit Trees, fast done every day, 5.30 in the morning, it pushed me past it. So I would suggest to anybody, try 5.30 in the morning and see what you come up with. It's amazing. How long is that first writing session for you? You mentioned seven. So you, do you do 90 minutes and then take a uh, break? I try and do 40 minutes at a time. Uh, so I'll do 40 minutes, then go, you know, go upstairs, you know, make a cup of tea, come back down. Uh, so 40 minute slots, though, honestly, once I'm stuck in the 40 minutes, the timer goes and I'm like, okay, just 10 more minutes and it ends up being an hour at least. But I'm trying to discipline myself more and more so that I just get some blood moving around my body. But uh, my goal, like when I went did Grow Fruit Trees Fast, was to do three of those sessions every day um, and get it done. How often were you successful for the three sessions? Oh, that once I started, no yeah. problem. Okay. But once you start, and even now, I'm not like I am doing some big projects, but even now, if I'm tired and groggy in the morning, I will come downstairs. That's where my office is. I will put on my timer for 40 minutes and say, look, do 40 minutes, 40 minutes of whatever it is that you need to do. And once I'm stuck in, the, the timer then goes and like, oh, has it been 40 minutes already? Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, it really makes a difference to have a little timer. Okay. And then I take it the breaks are important. So you do 40 minutes and then you get up, walk around, do do something like walk outside yeah. or something. Yeah. Breaks for me are really important because uh, my legs will cramp up or, you know, I can literally, once I get into that zone, I could work for three hours straight without getting off my butt. And that's not good for me. So, um, you can burn out quicker that way too. Even, you know, somebody once told me even five minutes, even going for a walk, you know, getting a cup of water, going to the washroom, whatever, and then coming back, that is good enough if that's all you can do. And I, I could keep going deeper and deeper into this, but I'll just ask one more. So do you ever, you know, let's say you have great momentum, you know, the timer goes off, you're like, gosh, I feel like I just sat down. I'm right in the middle of it. Do you ever lose momentum by taking that break or what happens? What happens if you, if, when you walk away and you're like really on a roll? Uh, well, 
I probably should be more disciplined, but if I'm really on a roll, I keep going for another 20 minutes. But I will try not to go too much longer than that. Sometimes I just keep going. But it's not, I think what happens is the harder thing is if you are done for the day and you're like, I'm really excited about finishing this. How can I leave this unfinished? What I find is not that you lose your flow. You go to bed that night really excited to wake up in the morning and keep going. Yeah. So it doesn't work the way you think it does. It actually adds momentum. The hardest mornings for me is if I wake up and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not excited about what I'm doing. It's like, oh, I have to look at a to-do list and figure out what to do today. So... Um, no, I, I feel like it's okay if you don't get it all done. The other thing about me is that I'm always sitting at the edge of my seat until I start things, things start to crystallize and come together. I'm a, I think it's a goal oriented person. I like to complete things. I don't like to be in the middle of a mess. That's when I start to breathe easier. And I probably need to work on myself there because most of the projects you're in a bit of chaos and you just got to surrender and accept that and work your way through it. So you discovered SEO, you uh, hopped on Money Lab Pro, learned a little bit about it. How did you approach your keyword research after that? Well, yeah, in Money Lab Pro, in those courses, Matt talks about very expensive programs can't remember what it's called. You probably know where he's redoing his keyword research. Oh, like hrefs. Hrefs. I don't know. I remember I looked into it. I'm like, how much does that cost a month? I can't afford that. And I went on a trial and my topic is so niche that there really wasn't a big selection of things for me to choose from. So I'd looked at it. I did a little research and then I thought this isn't going to be worth it for me. There's not enough new topics. I mean, there's only so much I can say. So I kind of didn't have, um, didn't know exactly how to approach it. And then I discovered keywords everywhere. And that's been great. It's a free plugin. When I have a topic, I can research it and see if other people are searching for that topic. So keywords everywhere, they have a paid plan. I haven't even figured out what it is or how to use it because I'm so happy with that. In terms of YouTube videos, um, I have pay for TubeBuddy and I really like that for researching my topics. I don't know if it literally helps to type in the keywords, uh, in the actual videos. I don't know if that helps to YouTube find my video, but it does show you what people are searching for. So every time I do a new podcast and my podcasts are there an hour long and they're in depth with an expert. So I will decide on the topic I'm interested in, then research both on YouTube and on Google, keywords everywhere, to find out what are people interested in. So I already have collected my keywords at that point. I know people will be interested in the podcast. I do the podcast audio live, and then I make it into a video to put on YouTube using those TubeBuddy keywords. And then when I have time, I will do an epic content article and include um, the video, include a link to the podcast, and it pulls it all together. And then I use the keyword everywhere keywords. Got it. Okay. 
there's a very thorough answer how you pull everything together that's perfect and yeah i was going to say I, I was doing some keyword research just the other day and you know you can use the more expensive tools which have their place but something like hrefs or semrush or the other full suite of marketing tools, they're for marketing agencies. So that's why they cost a hundred or two or $300 per month. And they can give you a lot of data. Sometimes you don't actually need that much. So the keyword research that I was doing, I started at Hrefs and I was like, actually, this is not working that well for me. So I just went to Google, started typing in keywords, get auto-suggest keywords. I use keywords everywhere as well. And I just had the information I needed. It, a lot of the detail and additional information that HRS will give you, I didn't need. I, I just needed to know like what's a handful of keywords. I could kind of prioritize them after the fact. It doesn't really matter. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Let's talk about courses. That's the main monetization. So you, it sounded like you did have you know, a strong communication background. You, it sounded like taught some college coursework as well. So you're a communicator and educator. What was it like trying to create your own course online, which introduces a lot of technical issues? So the creating the courses, I just dipped into my creativity and my filmmaking background. At that time, I wasn't a college teacher. And what's interesting is my online course got attention. And somebody from a local college called me up and said, we're looking for somebody to teach fruit production. Would you teach it for us? <laughs> and that was beautiful for me because I had my first course up and maybe a, maybe one or two courses. But what I then did was worked on the curriculum for my students at Niagara College. And I was able to see how are my students understanding this? What are their questions? Um, and improve everything I had, which then I would put into my online courses. So it was a wonderful way to get feedback. And that's the main problem with creating online courses is you don't have people in front of you to look confused when they don't get it. So my first thing was to teach live online and in person whenever I could. So for gardening groups, I would give these talks and finesse them and improve them until, you know, had the laughs going on and had the fun parts and the, oh, I understand now moments. Um, so that was my first step. Teach, 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 see how people like it. And then creating wasn't a problem, but the problem was where to host it. And at first, I didn't want to put money towards it. I didn't know my business was going to be successful. So somehow, I managed to figure out how to host my online courses on a WordPress site. I did it not even with a plug in it in the first, I don't know how I did it. Honestly, Doug, I, just, I have no idea how I did it. But anytime that WordPress site was unstable, the, everybody's saying, hey, I can't get access to my course. What's wrong with this? And I had to be the IT person too. Then I go to a plugin called Sensei for, for WordPress. And I'm like, okay, this is great. Same problem. Sensei was slowing down my website. Again, I have to be the IT specialist. I'm not designed for that. Then I finally take the plunge and go to Thinkific. I'm Canadian. It's a nice Canadian company. I thought, let's go for Thinkific. And it was great for a while. Um, Thinkific was stable. And if there's any problem, it's their problem to deal with. They're, so that was great. I had to put all my individual, I do a lot of quizzes. 
because after every video, I want to make sure you're not sleeping through the video. So I give you a quiz to make sure you got the content. So that was fine. Uh, but after a while, I felt like anything I needed from Thinkific, they'd say, well, you have to up upgrade to our very expensive program. And it's like, I can't afford that. And I don't want to. And I didn't feel that that their helpline was really super friendly and nice. So from there, I moved to Podia, where I still am now. And I I really enjoy it. The move was a nightmare in terms of I had to move every single quiz by hand, retype the questions and answer into the new Podia platform. That took forever because, uh, you know, I have 45 videos in one course, so there's going to be 45 quizzes with multiple questions. That wasn't fun. But I'm glad I moved. I like Podia. It's not perfect. But what I felt was great was their help was so lovely. And when I started, anytime I wanted to chat with somebody, the chat was live in real time. I remember there was one time I was working on my website for some reason at two in the morning and there was somebody on chat. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. I have no idea how that happened because later they said, no, our working hours is until like 5 p.m. or something. Maybe things changed. Now they must be really busy because it's not always the, the chat feature isn't always available. Sometimes it takes a few days, but I still think they're lovely and they use a lot of emojis. I like <laughs> emojis. It's so friendly. It's like, hi, Susan, wave. How are you, smiley? You know, right. um, but it just makes you feel loved and appreciated. So nice. I'm good with that. Um, so, so yeah, so Podia is stable. It offers me a community element. I can even, I'm now starting a, a monthly community meetup and I can charge for that. Um, so it's got a lot of great things that I like and hopefully they will keep developing with the things that I'm not crazy about. Okay, awesome. And final question, I'm curious, you know, selling your own course is, I mean, it's a pretty challenging thing, kind of daunting. You made it through a lot of the different challenges. Like, how was it writing the sales page? That's a completely different kind of writing than what hmm. you would be used to, right? Great question. All your questions are great. Um, so I, like everything else, I just did it. I did the first version and the second version. Now, at some point, I did a free webinar uh, with somebody, and I'm trying to remember who it was, and it was talking about, I think it's story something, storyboard, something like that. I can try and tell you after if you want to put a link to it, if I can find it. And it, you know, I watched this particular um, webinar, and it explained how to put together, you know, what are your features and what who are your audience? So right now I have sort of a template that I use for creating my sales page and it seems to convert pretty well. I've still got challenges. I know that there's lots more for me to improve, but I guess that the moral of the story for me with my whole journey is just do it and start somewhere. You know, you don't want to check your, your day job right away, but you know, you can sit there and wait till it's perfect and it'll never happen. So I think that that was the positive part of um, my journey is that I just thought, okay, this, this needs to be done. There are people who need this training. It's going to make the world a better place. So just do it. 
put together some sort of sales page and see what happens and then you'll improve it later. Awesome. And we are coming up to the the end of the interview here. So you, you kind of encapsulated it there a little bit, but do you have any other, you know, broad tips or an overview? And if you if you don't want to mention what you just said, because like I said, you almost tied it in a bow right there with the last answer. But yeah, anything else you want to share with the audience, people that want to basically replicate what you've done? Yeah, I think the other lesson that dawned on me recently, we are creators and we love creating. And we have to remember that we're doing this often to make the world a better place. And to bring us share our knowledge and to reach our full potential. But that it's also very, very, very important that this is a sustainable business. And something that I only started to do in recent years is to do my books by hand on spreadsheets and to make every Friday is my admin day. So Friday is the day that I look at, you know, how much I earned that I'm literally entry by entry doing my accounting to see what's going on in my business. That has made a huge difference because I feel in control and I know how much I'm spending. And this is not my nature. My nature is to be a creative, you know, little magical person with a magic wand who puts things together and makes things beautiful. And there's, I guess accounting just doesn't feel fun, but it is a huge part of the business. And I'm glad the other piece that I do is I use Asana to organize my tasks. And I kept putting all these tasks in Asana that I would do one day, never doing them. So now I have a little app where for 10 to 20 minutes a day, I look into my old list and knock off a few of those tasks. So I know that they will eventually get done if I do a little bit every day. Those are my bits of advice. But I think my advice is really just go for it and do it. Get started and see how it goes and put your love and passion into it and somehow it'll work out. Awesome. Susan, where can people find you? They can go to orchardpeople.com and you'll see the articles, the podcasts, the courses, I'm on YouTube as well. So you can Google YouTube Orchard People and you can see all my videos. And I'm on Facebook, not very good at it, but I use Facebook for various things. So they can find me uh, on Orchard People on Facebook. Great. We'll link up all that stuff so people can get to it really easy. And thanks a lot. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Doug. It was lots of fun talking to you too.